Welcome to Culture Dumps. It's Parks Miller here with Ryan Lichten. Yep. What's up, Ryan? How's it going? Uh, well, it's going great. A lot of great, a uh, lot of great TV on nowadays. Keep me yes. Um, we before we dive into this dump, which we have a song playing that directly relates to our dump. Um, we did. I did want to mention a couple things in the sort of the the mainstream universe that are related to dumps. Uh, you just watched, you started watching the Pam and Tommy show uh, Hulu on, show. Yeah, it's fucking yeah. great. It it, yeah. it it really does wonders for uh, for Pam Anderson, really, really humanizes her uh, in a way that I feel like uh, hasn't really been done. Like, you know, well, at least like as far as the sex tape thing goes, you know what I mean? This really like kind of puts it into perspective, but it certainly does not do any favors for uh, Mr. Tommy Lee. Holy shit, does it make him look like an asshole? <laughs> oh, well that, I don't think that would be too hard to do. Yeah. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, it, it, it's it's fantastic. And, uh, and you know, because since we know the story, since we covered it, yeah, like, we it, covered, it follows yeah. it pretty fucking, right, pretty to the T, because right. um, nice. it, it's based on the Rolling Stone article that we got most of our uh, info from. So it's cool to see it, nice. see it play out. And just like, I love like now when there's like a period piece that's like only like 30 or so years ago, <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Cause it's like, yeah. I, cause we like, we were there and I'm like, Oh yeah, that's <laughs> right. what it was like. <laughs> but it's just like the nineties. It's uh, old, old enough, to, old enough where nostalgia pieces actually, fit into your timeline yeah is what you're saying. exactly we're fucking mid-30s baby um the other kind of dump related news is that i noticed that there's been this like smash mouth all-star trend on tiktok where they do the like intro the like somebody once yeah and like and someone gets hit little... in the face with like a fucking snowball or like yeah falls over and drunk so, with like a pitcher or something right so they like slightly edit the clip to have this pause and then once the like kind of fail happens then the told me comes in right so there's two little dumps, that dumps kind just of... one step ahead of the curve exactly but <laughs> We got a new one, and maybe this will come back. It in is weird coming ways. back because there is a fucking high-end production, like documentary, being made about this particular dump topic. And Weird Al right. is the narrator of it. So Great, and Weird it. Al and Weird Al fits into this, and we are talking about Tiny Tim. Yeah, and that is the song that we started this episode off with. Probably his most famous song, uh, "Tiptoe Through the Tulips." Right, and this is actually a cover song, um, but it's a really good one to start with. I think some people, have if you know of Tiny Tim, you probably heard this one. Um, it really encapsulates, like, it kind of gets the essence of Tiny Tim. It's the falsetto voice. It's the ukulele. It's really old, vaudeville like songs. vaudeville, turn of the century music, and 
and it's kind of fucking weird. And so that's, it's very fucking weird actually, because right. that's what tiny Tim is all about. Well, and I'm um, sure there's going to be like some folks that like, cause tiny Tim is, is like, um, he's like a folk hero for like outsider yeah. music. So mm -hmm. there is an argument to be made that like, maybe he doesn't necessarily fit into culture dumps. But if you look at his peak of his fame, and then the down, the like the decline, that is 100% cultured up. It, it's very yes. similar to like, I mean, my, this is like, I have to like, I have to tip throw, you know, tiptoe through the tulips <laughs> with this. But uh, I want to say it's it's almost like how Gary Glitter was like this, like regular on talk shows and variety shows because mm -hmm. he was such like a sight to behold and was such like a, it, like a weird character. And I was going right. to say, but without the pedophilia, but... But yeah, he's, he's we'll get some, into that. He's got some weird preferences. <laughs> we'll get into yeah, that. Yeah, and and that's it. This is very much as a dump, and I'll do. I'm gonna do like a little intro. Why is it a dump kind of thing? Yeah, just to let y'all know about Tiny Tim. So, who was Tiny Tim? First off, Tiny Tim was anything but tiny. In fact, he was a large individual. Uh, at six foot one with this long flowing uh like curly poodle hair yep. uh tiny tiny tim's appearance uh marked this very like stark contrast to this like falsetto voice and this ukulele um i mean there's not a voice for. he could have had that would have fit with the way he looks like when you're washing your hair in the shower and you have your eyes closed <laughs> and you're worried that like someone's in there like someone so some, like it's tiny tim that's who i picture as being <laughs> right, the person right. on the other side of the shower curtain exactly now, he was a man who was obsessed with music in the first half of the 20th century. Um, and so he was always kind of considered like a novelty act. And even though by no means was Tiny Tim a hippie, he found this mainstream audience in the late 60s because his bizarre presentation kind of nestled up and found a home with this like hippie movement and this like burgeoning acceptance of quote unquote, like the freaks and weirdos, because he definitely falls into that. Yes. So he kind of had this um, very serendipitous moment of being incredibly popular, even though he was not about the sixties at all. He was about like the twenties and thirties. Um, and so he, he got, he was very popular. So yes, he is an outsider artist, but he had this like huge moment that say like our Stevie Moore, you know, never had, like he had a legit like mainstream moment and that's why he's a dumb. Yeah. Um, perhaps, perhaps his biggest moment of fame occurred in December of 1969 when tiny Tim at the age of 37 got married to his then 17 year old girlfriend, miss Vicky on the tonight show with Johnny Carson. <laughs> and this was known that no she was 17. <laughs> nope. Uh, 45 million viewers uh, watched that night and it, it made it Carson in his, in Carson's 30 year run as like the tonight show legend. This was his most viewed show. So like that in itself is like, okay, this is mainstream as fuck right now. Yeah. Um, and since then, his music has appeared in many TV shows and movies, uh, including notably SpongeBob SquarePants and the horror movie Insidious. And as you mentioned, Weird Al, he was a big inspiration uh, to Weird Al, the parody music legend who Weird Al is not a dump because Weird Al, to me, is going to pretty much always be relevant. And he's been relevant yeah, for like yeah. three decades. So Weird Al is not a dump. Tiny Tim is a dump. And why is he a dump? I, I argue, even though he is outsider music, he's a classic dump 
because he had this huge mainstream moment. He truly epitomizes the type of person who was, quote, like born in the wrong era. Um, his obsession with the past meant that he kind of never fit in ever with his timeline yeah and he only you, got you know? weirder as he as got, he as he went on right. like like he, he didn't become more accepted like he became fucking more fucked up and more fucked up right i mean like the hippie moment was great for him because it was just a moment where people were being super weird so then it was like sure you're weird and you got long hair it kind of works um but he was very easily misunderstood even his success that like even when he was mainstream popular, it still kind of had this like amused and exploitative nature to it. It was almost like kind of like freak show vibes. Like, look at this weird guy. Let's put him on because he's so weird. Yes. Um, but however, his many um, eccentricities created this character that really was like kind of too unique to go and notice. And even though he was famous in the 60s and 70s, um, he still it kind of was his undoing in a lot of ways because he really it wasn't an act he really was that person um but during his peak you know he was on tv especially when in the 60s tv was you know this is way before internet smartphones like tv was like this huge way of getting culture into the household so when he appeared on tv it meant he was a household name um but these these curiosities that kind of led to his appeal and fame they were very real and they ran very deep. And he was Tiny Tim was a man who was completely out of step with modern society. And he sort of had this like pretty like tragic slow downfall uh, in the 80s. He kind of tried to reclaim his fame. Um, and that's great for us uh, culture dumpers because it leads to some very weird and bizarre content. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, you know, he's kind of this American treasure and he's kind of like a perfect dump. Also, because, yeah, he, unlike Gary Glitter, he wasn't a fucking pedophile, though he does get into some weird stuff on his own. But it's kind of like the things that made him popular also led to his own undoing because he was just kind of too weird to live. Yeah. Um, and just before we get into it, I want to say this is now our second ukulele related culture dump. The yeah. first, obviously, being is. And uh, funny enough, both of these ukulele individuals kind of part of it was that they were very large and yeah. they played a very small instrument and that kind of on some weird level is just i don't know it's and they funny were both known uh for their for their voices <laughs> you know like yes, specifically exactly. that's very true you, you know and what, what i love about tiny tim because i was watching some stuff this is like this is obviously you know like a parks uh led episode but you know i was watching some stuff and and normally if there's like a really kind of straight laced public figure you find out that their private life was really fucking weird and then if you have someone that's like like an andy kaufman or something like that presents themselves really fucking strange but then you find out that it's it's all an act and in their private life mm -hmm. they're fairly right, normal right. what i love about tiny tim is like he's like a mega freak on stage and then you find out <laughs> about his personal life yeah and it's like way weirder than you could ever fucking believe yeah. it's like if you think he's weird on stage that's him like tightening it up for the yeah, public exactly. <laughs> like yes. it's so, it gets so fucking crazy and uh, like truly like, essential you can listen to his voice and yes his voice is obviously the thing that's going to stand out and is the predominant thing about tiny tim but the motherfucker was homely and had a really strange look and it makes everything else about him mm -hmm. that much memorable like, again that much yes. more crazy you know 
Absolutely. So let's let's get into a little tiny Tim here. Let's get tiny beginnings. Um, so the man later to be known as Tiny Tim was born Herbert Boutros Kari on April 12th of 1932, born in Manhattan, New York. His mother was a Polish Jewish textile worker and his father was a Lebanese garment worker. And it's a good thing because this they're going to need to make some bigger clothes. Make, yeah, some big, he, goofy fucking clothes. He, <laughs> um, but no, and I also just love that because, I mean, to me, like, two, like, you know, like, Eastern European immigrants coming to New York and having a kid like that. I mean, I'm kind of tickled by that. Like, that's such an American story. It's so American, yeah. It's so freaking American. When you look at Tiny Tim, you can tell he kind of has, like, those feature, he definitely has the features of those, you know, the the Eastern European immigrant. Um, and it, so it's crazy because he's just, he's super fucking New York at heart, you know? Yeah. Um, and at the, uh, so at the age of five, his father uh, gave him a gramophone, which we're, we're going to get a little old school here. A gramophone is a record player that you had to actually crank by hand in order for it to play you had to spin like a wheel for it to play this shit so this is way back in the day um and he gave him a gramophone and a 78 rpm record of beautiful ohio by henry burr which is what we're playing now i'm kind of taking liberties of like throwing in some old-timey music because it's kind of relating to me at the moment Manhattan, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um we could we could shout out dr uh, Parkinson's again, P Man, one of our favorite oh, uh, Instagram accounts. Yeah. Parkinson, yeah, uh, one of our P Man, one of our favorite Instagram accounts of all time, which we did mention on one of our Patreon episodes. Um, I mean, and honestly, if you do go and find uh, P Man, like you'll see that there are some sort of similarities. It's like someone who is really lost in time and who's yearning for this like nostalgia of like the 20s, the 30s. Um, so that being said. At the age of five, um, Herbert Kari heard this song, Beautiful Ohio, and basically just, it was from, I mean, really from the age of five, like that's where it all started. He just fell in love uh, with this music. I mean, this song, Beautiful Ohio, was written and recorded in 1918. And Herbert, young Herbert, just loved music from like the 1900s until the 1930s. Now, quick little history lesson here this era it's sort of from like the late 1800s to the early 1900s is kind of referred to as tin pan alley tin pan alley yeah and this is and this is just like a very f famous and like formative time in popular music because it kind of was this transition from like really traditional music and classical music into like pop music right because a lot of what was happening is like this music was being written in new york city where herbert lived um but it was also significant because there was this huge revolution in terms of actual like copyright and songwriting laws. So Tim Pan Alley is also known for like this time where like the music, the modern music industry as we know it started to blossom because now you could really make an income from writing a song. Right. And if, if people performed your song, you would make income from that. So it kind of created like financial gains for like the 
the occupation of a songwriter. And this was like this huge era in American music. And with the gramophone being invented in records and all that stuff, you know, it's like when porn went from the theaters to VHS, (laughs) it's like, it's like now, you know, as a musician, you didn't, you didn't have to, you know, play on like the vaudeville circuit. You could like lay it on wax and make money that way. So like lay it on wax. Yeah. So you you can, you constantly had money coming in, Mm -hmm. but also this is where you get the concept of standards. Like when you hear like American song mm-hmm. standards it's the american like the, song like, book yeah yeah these are like the first songs like registered right. with like bmi or whatever the fuck it was at the time mm-hmm. uh yeah. to, you know to, to create yeah the, the music industry but these songs right. most of which were being played for decades before they were ever right. recorded and that's mm-hmm. the that's where like kind of tiny tim lies you know yeah. because he yeah. loved that and he would soak up all these old songs and he kind of became like this walking oral tradition of the american yes. songbook absolutely and because there is this weird distinction i mean you can obviously go back and look at music in each decade but i think for most of us there is this big distinction when it comes to modern music with the 50s and the invention of rock and roll right like that feels like this huge change and so like at that point just the way things operated really did start to change, but Tin Pan Alley is kind of like this precursor in a way of modern music. So um, some of some of the really famous songwriters, uh, George Gershwin, Irving Berlin, and Scott Joplin, I'm sure you all have heard of some of these people. I mean, they have, like, their music has, you know, still managed to even get into, like, mainstream even now um, because it really was this hugely influential time, and it really took young Herbert like that's what he was really into um and so he heard this record at the age of five by six he started learning how to play guitar um and then as a child he would spend hours and hours at the New York Public Library reading about the history of the phonograph industry and these recording artists so he was just like going to the library trying to like learn as much as he could about this like turn of the century music um one of these artists was Rudy Valley whose falsetto singing would be a huge impact on Herbert. And I just want to play a clip of a Rudy Valley song called You're Just Another Memory. So you can you can hear that this artist Rudy Valley was like starting to he was using a falsetto and that's going to be like incredibly formative uh, Herbert and that's like Tim. groundbreaking yeah. shit at the time though yeah. because mm-hmm. you know this is back when like anything remotely feminine coming from a man is just mm-hmm. like fucking death like you know right right and Tiny Tim like really jumped on that aspect of his art like from an mm-hmm. early early age and you know from what I my understanding is that when he heard Rudy Valley, that's when he realized, oh, like, well, I know I could sing like that, but I never knew mm-hmm. like I was allowed to sing like that. Yes. Yes. Though it is funny because even though that was like the predominant thing, there's always been like a strain of like queer culture. And even in the 30s, you had men dressing in drag and you always had this like tradition of drag and like men dressing as women. Um, it was just way more underground and less accepted. Right. But there's always been this thing about like, what is it about a man who wears some high heels and some tights? Always, right. always and long, something there. 
right. long but hair the, but, and stuff. Yes, but to be but a drag queen back then it, it was one. I mean, thing you could you could it, get murdered. Well, you know? yeah, but you know, if you but if it was in a performance, you know, it was like a thing. But if you're just like androgynous, mm. just because that's right. that's even more shocking, mm-hmm. you know, like or Absolutely. was it at the time? And Tiny Tim yeah. really latched onto that. Yeah. So he he starts to already like start to craft like his persona at home um and he would start doing these little performances at home have these stage names some of them were um emmett swink <laughs> tech texarkana tex and judith k foxglove that one is particularly androgynous yeah totally um, that's that's just it, a drag name right there and texarkana right. tex it's interesting texarkana by the way uh just a fun fact is a, a small town in Texas where uh, there was these murders that happened, I think, in, like, the 50s. But it, it created the urban legend of, like, the teenagers in a lover's lane, and they hear something, like, on mm. the radio about a killer, blah, blah, blah. And when they get home, mm. there's, like, a, the killer's hook hand attached to their car handle. Oh, and it inspired nice. the movie The Town That Dreaded Sundown, which has been remade. And mm. it's, like, a whole meta thing in the horror world, and, and there is some truth to it. Um, but it's just interesting. Cool. T- Texarkana text. Yeah, that's very cool. Um, yeah, I just made a note. You know, I mean, if only Tiny Tim was born even a little later in the steampunk era, I feel oh, like his he ukulele would... would have been like bicycle powered, and yeah, like he would like have been bicycle... wearing goggles and like a top hat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, but yeah. So, but this obsession with this old music made him to be like a very odd child. He was constantly bullied. He was made fun of. You know how kids are like they sure. they will find the weakness in the pack and they will start to bully and be mean. And so being like obsessed with weird falsetto, I mean, not weird to me, but like uh, being obsessed with like falsetto ass old fucking scratchy gramophone music is not necessarily going to win you friends. Right. No. Um, and even his mother like never really accepted him. So it kind of almost I know that like the serial killer kind of trajectory is always like a weird relationship with your mother and like he it's kind of in that way like i mean he wasn't a murderer but like his mother <laughs> but damn his mother, well if he was that, that would yeah. have been the scariest looking goddamn <laughs> yeah killer. because he could he could have easily been one uh, i mean just in <laughs> appearance no i love him i'm not saying that but his mother she never understood how she could have like given birth to this like strange this child thing and, and at one point, she even considered committing him to the Bellevue Hospital. So now I had to, I was like, what's the Bellevue Hospital? Oh, dude. The, Bell, the Bellevue Hospital is the oldest public hospital in the US. It's in New York, but it had this like strong association with mental patients. So, like, it's really like saying that is like a big like stigma to be like, oh, like this kid almost got sent to Bellevue. Like, basically, it was like a derogatory term. You'd be like, oh, like you could use that as an insult, like, you should go to Bellevue. Like yeah. you're a Bellevue kid. You're a Bellevue baby. Like basically, well, it, it was and it was it, terrifying. It was a terrifying place because the patients were just left to tend to themselves a lot of the time. They were horribly abused, and and the odds are like generally the way it went was if you were brought to Bellevue, you weren't coming back home. Like you didn't go there right. for an evaluation. You went there to get dropped off, and then yeah, that it's would, basically that would be it. yeah, it's basically a cross between like a mental hospital and jail at that point. So. Yeah. So she, that's that's just to say, like, it's already like there's going to be a rocky. There's a theme of a rocky road for Tiny Tim here. Um, now, fortunately, his father intervened. I didn't I couldn't find a ton of information about his father, but it seemed like, you know, he showed him the music. It seemed like he was a little more understanding of like who 
young Herbert was, but his mom would kind of constantly be this like force of like, I can never get my mother's approval. Um, so to add on to that, not only was he obsessed with old timey music, he was also at a very young age, a, like a devout Catholic. Um, and he, so he was, his desire to be like in God's good graces was just another reason for kids to make fun of him because he was seen as like stuffy and prudish. He wouldn't like do like mischievous pranks with the kids. So that was just like another reason. It was like, man, this kid at like seven years old is like all about like being a Catholic, you know? So like, yeah, again, it's just everything is fucking back. Like weird as yeah. shit with this dude. Yeah. He's just, he's, he is truly born in the wrong time. He was obsessed with a different era. Um, Around the age of 11, he learned to play violin, mandolin, and the ukulele, which is kind of like what he was really known for um, as a performer. So, his rise to fame. In the 50s, Herbert got a job as a messenger at the New York office of MGM Studios, which again, I just love that kind of shit because like... Literally, there's oh, not a job. Yeah, like, the, but like having a <laughs> job as me. messenger, like I'm a messenger boy. Like, yeah. oh, even God. though he's, even though this is the 50s, it's just funny because it's at any given time, you're always kind of like looking ahead at the future and then also still in the past. So even though it's the 50s and things are progressing in a way, they still have job titles like messenger. You know? Yeah. So that that shit's funny to me. Um. And but basically working at MGM Studios, this kind of like again fed into his love of entertainment and also like the old classics because then he became obsessed with like all these like old movies and um, there was this one movie star in particular, Rudolph Valentino, who uh, would wear wigs and have face paint and I think that that is partially like the inspiration for why he had such long hair and uh, because tiny Tim actually would have long hair. He, he was wearing his hair long even before like the sixties in the fifties. Yeah. So yeah. he was like, and, and that's when he started painting his face, which, you mm -hmm. know, I mean, you could, you could go like a clown angle with it and no one would really think about right. it, but like the long hair itself, like people don't realize like how, like that could get you killed in some places. Yeah. Then. The long, like having long hair was a big thing. It was, it was a great moment for like white people to feel like they had a chip on their shoulder because they're like, man, I got my <laughs> long hair and like that makes me like segregated, you know? Yeah. Oh, uh, God. But no, but at, the, but at the same time, no, you really could be discriminated against for having long hair in in the 50s and 60s. So and it wasn't it, enough. It, it like, look, without a point, with. You know? With not without long hair, if this guy could be into the most modern fucking music, wearing the hippest, most in clothes with a tight haircut, and he still is ghastly. Looking. He's just, I mean, <laughs> I mean, he just has a look, and then he's just very, you know, like we said, it looks like his feet, whole face just, is tall, running forward, gangly. He's got a big old face, he's got this long ass hair. He just, he just looks like someone you'd be like, yo, what's up with that guy? You know, he's a caricature, he's a character, character, caricature, for sure. Um, so he started, but he had this like desire, like he loved this music. So he was like, I got to like performance. So he would start like doing like acoustic busking. He would play in Times Square. He'd play at the subway stops. Um, and eventually in the sixties, he found his way into this like folk scene of Greenwich village, which, which was like blowing up at the time. So again, it's funny because he's really running really parallel to all these like hugely non-dumpable major 
cultural movements, right? I mean, the yeah. Greenwich Village 60s thing is just like, that's some shit like your fucking hippie social studies teachers going to talk about. Beatniks and folk music. Beatniks, folk music. Um, yeah, exactly. He would go under the name like Derry Dover or Sir <laughs> Timothy Timms, which I like. That's Tim pretty creepy. Timmy Timms is great. Timmy um, Tim sounds like a porn name. <laughs> Maybe Timmy Tips, but um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Tip. So I mean, I mean, we should just mention like the '60s folk scene at this moment because a lot of these artists, um, you know, they're kind of like congregating in Greenwich Village in New York, and they're mixing like their own compositions with like standard folk tunes from essentially the same time period as the music that Tiny Tim is really into. I mean, really in the very early Greenwich Village era, it was really about rehashing music from the 20s and 30s and kind of, it was sort of like this modern nostalgia thing. We, we talk about nostalgia often yeah. on the show, but it was kind of like, look at how their perspective was in the 30s. How can we apply that to our modern life in the 60s? And like writing, I mean, even really just knowing a huge repertoire of old music at, in the very early period Made was like cool. yeah that was like more valuable than writing your own music well you know what it is it's because like like woody guthrie and like these like mm -hmm. greats like that was like the punk rock of like the vaudeville right. era and so like these guys in the 60s like bob dylan and all these other folk artists you know looking back to that stuff in, like dust bowl era and depression era a lot of those songs are written about how fucking fucked over they were by the government right. and this idea of like frontiersmanship and and we can travel mm -hmm. this whole country is ours and like just you know strap the guitar on your back and get out there yeah. and that was seen like kind of like there was echoes of that with like the civil rights movement and coming right. out of the 50s mm -hmm. into like the new you know awoken 60s era so there was similarities and you know it's right. like well we already have all these songs that are already written so we'll start with these and then we'll work in our original songs as we come into our own exactly yeah i mean basically the 60s in a very broad way like the first half was about this like folk revival which kind of produced a lot of the revolutionary ideas and then the second half was kind of like the drug taking the the kind of like social experiment of like you know the psychedelic music but it, the 60s had these very two i would say two very distinct parts of it and tiny tim um, was right there to and he was just there bring the two together right. and yeah you mentioned bob dylan i mean bob dylan is like probably by far like the biggest star to like come out of this Greenwich village scene. Yeah. Absolutely. And I mean, and even him, like he got his start exclusively playing covers of old folk artists like Woody Guthrie, like Bob Dylan's very first album only has like one song that he wrote. It's all covers. Like that was the thing. So all this to say that like Herbert, tiny Tim, who's not tiny Tim yet, he's actually like, maybe for the first time in his life, actually finding acceptance because even though he might not be playing Woody Guthrie, he's still playing this old music. And so there is this like, oh, this guy like knows some shit. And he was also because he was very knowledgeable about this old music. So he was kind of seen as this like musicologist as like this, this authority on this history that all these folkies were also trying to like tap into. So he he really started to gain like an audience in the, the Greenwich Village era. And he even befriended Bob Dylan. And there's a story that Bob Dylan and him were hanging out one night. And Bob Dylan asked him about Rudy Valley, asked him a bunch of questions because he knew that Tiny Tim knew a lot right. about Rudy Valley. And it even led for Tiny Tim to perform a cover of Dylan's song, Don't Think Twice, It's All Right 
in his Tiny Tim fashion with the falsetto and the ukulele right in front of Dylan. Um, Tiny Tim would also later, jumping ahead, he would perform in front of George Harrison and actually yeah. cover Beatles songs in the same way in front of George Harrison. Because, I mean, you got to like, that's the thing is this guy is just so fucking weird. So people are just drawn to like, who is this guy? Yeah, I think at first it was, and, and I know we're, we're not quite there yet, but like when, like when you know, with Bob Dylan and George Harrison, like there was a, a moment, a very short window where it wasn't like a novelty. It was just like, okay, is this like a new thing or is this just a weird thing? You know, like is this guy right. is this guy on the forefront of some like really crazy breakthrough right. like avant garde abstract mm -hmm. shit, or is this like a joke? You know, and he would battle exactly. that his whole life, right? Because if when and like we we've already played examples, like when you hear that falsetto, I mean, like, damn, I mean that falsetto is hitting a part of you where like, yeah, you're like, I mean, this, this is weird. And then it's, it's to the point where like, maybe this is groundbreakingly innovative experimental music. Yeah. You I know? mean, he was definitely the first to do that. <laughs> and definitely um, the, the, well, I'll say this, uh, he wouldn't be the last because I have true. a sneaking suspicion true. that he was reincarnated as the singer of the darkness. Uh, uh, and and was you like, go. you know what? I'm going to do it right this time. Right. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Which uh, then that only lasted for about one, one, hit anyways so the name tiny tim his performances in greenwich village were successful enough to get him both a manager and a booking agent and it's at one of these shows when he followed a so-called not my words midget act which also you mean just, little person performance <laughs> also i'm just like wondering because it's funny that like you know you think of this folk music scene as this like progressive time but then they're still like booking these midget acts. I'm like, what the well, fuck is that? Oh, all and I'm about? sure there was worse shit than that. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, let's yeah. not. I mean, Bob Dylan used uh, some some hard R's and, uh, and you know what I mean. In some of his yeah. songs. So it's like, but again, um, I uh, it's because it comes from a lot of this stuff came from not only like the vaudeville stuff, but like the traveling, like the circus, you know, aspect. Mm -hmm. And there was like, like you said, like Tiny Tim kind of fit into this like freak show thing. So there's like, it's all kind of fitting into like this Todd Browning's like like freaks kind of right thing, you know coming out of it like that shit right. was part of the influence of all these guys too like the idea of like carnies and going around and yeah. yes there was uh little people you know right and like, that. and and also let's not forget this 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 particular episode doesn't really in include blackface or much like racial conversation but in these times it was very very normal and accepted not in the 60s but in the 30s and stuff to like Don, in the 60s, you could have gotten away with it, too, though. Sure, but you could have gotten away with it. People weren't as, doing it. But, but, yeah. but, but black, performing as blackface was like a hugely lucrative market for white performers. Yes. It was like a huge moneymaker. Anyway, so he's doing this little people, not my words, midget act. <laughs> and he followed it. And because he was six foot one, his manager, George King, decided you're going to be Tiny Tim because... We all love a large guy named Tiny, right? Like I sure. in high school, I knew this guy. He, you know, everyone called him Tiny. He was the biggest guy in our school. It's just like a classic irony situation, you know? Yeah, the, sure. The big guy, call him little. Um, so, he, but Tiny Tim is now his name. It sticks. This is the it one sticks. that sticks. There's um, there's no other name that this guy could have gone by. Right, right. I mean, I love Judith Foxglove, but it's a little. It's a little too much, right? Yeah. Um, so now he's got his name. He's got this like 
And also, I mean, because we're talking like Bob Dylan and shit in the 60s, like he's got like underground like credibility, like all these like very hip people are like in love with Tiny Tim. Right. So he is getting bigger and bigger. Um, in 1963, he appeared in this experimental yet unfinished movie called Normal Love, which is noted because it ended up being influential on in some of Andy Warhol's many weird ass art movies. Um, so again, it's just, it's another indication that like this dude is kind of like, he's hitting all the right, like credential points as it were. Um, and his manager started to get him onto television shows. Now his first, uh, appearance, his first televised appearance was on this show in 1968 called Rowan and Martin's laugh in. This is like a comedy variety show. Now, I yeah. also want to stop and talk about like the laugh in. That's funny to me because in the 60s hippie movement, because now we're in the late 60s and we're talking about hippies. There was this whole like something in, in. like like there was like hippie movement, like love ins, be ins. You know, like that was like these. That's what they would call basically these happenings. like happenings. Yeah, like all these like hippie gatherings. They were always were kind of called that, especially you know like that sixties, um, you know like the hate Asbury scene because it was like you know that was a thing. So it. I'm also if you're a fan of the dumps, I think it's really interesting to go back to like sixties TV because what you have is you have this like super like media establishment who has been running the show for a long time and now they're trying to like adapt to this like exploding hippie movement counterculture so they do things like have rowan and martin's laughing but when you right. watch the show which it's marks like, the decline of that because right it's like oh yeah no i mean shit, yeah of course i mean the hippie movement really started dying very quickly like the true like optimism of it died very quickly we've covered that a lot in podcast 99 whatever um, because the the host Rowan and Martin are like these two like suited guys. I mean, by all accounts, they're squares, right? You know, yeah. you had you had like the Smothers Brothers, um, Dick Cavett, like you everyone who would like kind of have these like hippie artists were wearing like fucking suit and ties. And, and the like, whole they bit were would very, always be like, check these guys out. They're yeah. really groovy. And like, yeah. kind of like joking, like, can you believe this is like, what's like the big thing now? Right, right. And they would like do that thing where they'd be awkwardly like, so this is what's hip today. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, like they would sound so awkward. And I, I mean, that almost is a dump in itself because it's just so funny. to me. I mean, it's basically it's like when um the Rolling Stones went on Dean Martin and Dean Martin's like drunk and he's just like, who are these fucking goobers? You know, because it's like the old, <laughs> the old, the old guard is like, fuck this, like these fucking loud ass rock and roll hippie yeah. dudes are about to take over. And like, I can't get away with playing crooner Sinatra shit anymore. Well, and know? that's like with the Smothers Brothers, you know, who, who you mentioned, they had famously they had the who on. Right. And the Smothers Brothers were a little bit more hip, like, you know, like than right. some of the other guys. But still, like two guys in a suit, like, check this out. And their whole thing was like, check out this new group. Uh, it's it's you're really going to be surprised. Stick around mm -hmm. for the end. And yeah. the whole ending was that the who was going to smash their instruments, which like no one had seen done on TV before. Right. And they were going to blow up the drum. Yeah. So like they added all this 
gunpowder into Keith Moon's bass drum, but then Keith Moon was like, I'm going to add some more in some without more. anyone knowing. Yeah. And then like it, it blows up the whole stage and their fucking guitarist lost his hearing and Keith Moon got like soot all over him. And like, they're just like, holy fuck. Like, yeah. You know, and, that, and then uh, the bit is like, that shit's crazy. Right. And I love the who, but also uh, that guitarist is Pete Townsend, another uh, famous British rocker who uh, somehow found a large amount of child porn on his computer. <laughs> um, but anyway, that story is maybe that story's, British computers just come with it <laughs> and you have to pay to have it removed <laughs> you have to take um, it to geek squad and be like can i get yeah. that uh, stock uh child porn taken off my computer <laughs> like the u2 album that they yeah. put on everyone's ipod <laughs> that's a dump um ooh, that is a dump um but basically i guess it's it's just i'm noting this because it's funny because as like a pop culture nerd i become familiar with these tv shows but it's funny but no one remembers Rowan and Martin's laughing, right? You remember the Who? You remember Jamie Hendrix? You remember Tiny Tim? You don't remember what fucking rinkadink show they were on that was like trying to grasp at, you know, relevancy. I mean, yeah. other than like huge shows like Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, which we'll get into later. Anyway, so in 1968, he's on Rowan and Martin's laughing television debut. Now this is like a comedy variety show, right? Um, and basically this appearance is going to like sum up like this whole like novelty strange fascination that the American public is going to kind of like the it's the whole relationship with Tiny Tim like he comes out he has a shopping bag and he pulls out the ukulele from the shopping bag and he starts singing his falsetto and one of the hosts I think something Martin whatever is just kind of doing this like raised eye eyebrow like looking look, at the crowd like huh look at the, you know like this freak and he's kind of like every couple lines that tiny tim sings he's like making these like smirky ass like wink at the cameras like who's this weirdo and then that's kind of giving the audience the cue to laugh so the audience is laughing the whole time that tiny tim is playing his song and that really just sums up kind of like how he's gonna relate though again in the 60s he st he was still able to like find this audience because there was there were a lot of challenges to the norm and whether tiny tim was a hippie or not which he fucking wasn't he was able yeah, no. to kind of gain this acceptance because he was kind of like a freak and a weirdo you know yeah he had long hair he paled his face he was playing a ukulele which right. like you know like all that shit was like the most far out crazy shit Right. You could do at that time. And also with laughing, one of the main things they're known for is there would be like a big wall with all these little trap doors in it. And one celebrity would come out of one and be like, knock, knock. And then one would come out of the <laughs> other one and be like, who's there? And they would yeah. do that. And uh, the tiny Tim bit, his bit, this, like you want to talk about things they don't do anymore. Uh, someone comes out and they say, hey, tiny Tim, have you seen Yellow Submarine? And then tiny Tim like <laughs> pops out of one of the trap doors. He's like, oh, no, I don't really like Japanese war movies. <laughs> and you're yeah. just like, oh. Oh, yeah, rough. some nice old-fashioned racism. Yeah, I, the the yellow submarine. Yeah, I, yeah. I like you really have to like think hard to like. Okay, yellow uh -huh. submarine. How can we make this completely fucked up? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um. But yeah, like basically, you know, he he was kind of it's just like this really good time, and actually, um, I was kind of reading where it. You know, it even in to some degrees, and I don't know exactly to what degree, but I think just because of he had this certain like sort of androgyny too. Even though I mean, he we're gonna learn later that he actually is like this very 
very straight heterosexual man who follows these incredibly traditional values. But his appearance was so weird that he kind of, in some ways, like was sort of this androgynous queer inspiration just because he wasn't presenting. He doesn't present himself as macho in any way because there's something about singing in falsetto. And later you would have like Freddie Mercury who would kind of like reclaim the falsetto and make it sort of manly in a weird way because it was like, ah, this guy's got a mustache and hair. But singing in high, you know, it's like in a very basic way, low voice, manly. Also, high voice, a, a lot of that older music, like like a lot of the like Tin Pan Alley stuff and like a lot of those standards, like some of that stuff went on, you know, to be discovered. It was like code music, you know, for mm-hmm. for, for gay right. men and, and yeah. stuff. And, and, and it was kind of like revered. And a lot of the like crooner stuff, especially like the, from female artists, was kind of, you know, it became some of like the favorites, you know. And obviously right. that comes mm-hmm. into its own with, with Wizard of Oz, with, you know, Judy Garland doing Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Yeah. And that became. Right. Right, like, right. Literally like, like the theme song yeah. for maybe the next fucking 50 years of, mm-hmm. of the movement, you know? Yeah. But like, so Tiny Tim kind of had all these, oh, he's doing all these old romantic songs and look, he has long mm-hmm. hair and he painted his face and he's kind of limperisted up there. And so for a while, even though he didn't represent that like on purpose, he was kind of yes. like, yes, you're right. Like to, to some, right. he was seen as kind of like a, a pioneering queer icon, right? which, which is which interesting because we didn't really is, have like an actual queer icon back. You and, know? And, and again, it's just, it also just goes deeper into how kind of misunderstood he was because he sure. was just this guy obsessed with this like 20s, 30s music. And that was just his kind of his singular focus and just doing that in the 60s, you know, when all these I, things are happening, people are just kind of starting to attach all these like weird other things to him. Um, but also was noted and like that, you know, he didn't necessarily have like the sheen of like a, you know, like a typical showbiz performer, say like a little Richard who is like, or a James Brown who has like perfected their performance to like every little tick, like tiny Tim seemed like very awkward. So that in itself kind of was, you'd pull out of your fucking drain, right? You're like, this guy seems like he's going to like just you know freak out at any <laughs> given moment fucked up yeah yeah show his wiener on the subway or something <laughs> so anyway this performance um was the was kind of tiny tim's uh, debut of his rendition of tiptoe through, tiptoe through the tulips which is his most famous song a song that was first published in 1929 um and at this point I mean, it, it, it hit. His, his success continued to grow. At one point, Tiny Tim opened for Jimi Hendrix. Okay? Now, think <laughs> about that. Like, think about this. You're like, okay, I'm going to go see Jimi Hendrix, right? Like, chances are you took, like, a large hit of acid. And you are, like, smoking a fat doobie. Because you want to go see <laughs> Jimi Hendrix like the guitar god like melt your brain with like incredibly loud feedback psychedelic music playing 15 minute blues psychedelic jams and like what's gonna happen is you're, you're starting to come up right you're starting to like feel these drugs and then you have to see tiny tim before Jimi hendrix like that wait, sounds like terrifying. Like, I think this acid's like really fucking. So I bet that confused fucking people. They're like, wait, that's Jimi Hendrix. Like, and then I kept like, like, like kept like wiping like, their yeah. eyes, like rubbing their eyes. Like, like I should have taken acid for this. I, I made Jimi Hendrix into some kind of freak in my mind. Yeah. 
Um, so 68, huge year for Tiny Tim. He released his debut and classic outsider album, God Bless Tiny Tim. Now it's funny about that name, the religious tone, that probably added like another layer of irony in the 60s when everyone's kind of like starting to really get really free with like sacrilegious themes. Yeah. And so like that could have easily, like if it was like Frank Zappa, be like, God bless Frank Zappa, everyone would know that's a joke, right? So people probably assumed it was a joke, but he was being dead serious because he was a fucking devout Catholic. That like and that goes on to like kind of add to his mystique though, because then these artists would talk to him, they'd find out, oh no, he actually is like really Catholic, and it would kind of like like almost like with um somewhat like another outsider artist like Daniel Johnston, you know, where mm -hmm. he's making all these really weird quirky songs, and you're like, wow, I wonder what that guy's like. And then you meet him, you're like, oh, he really is mentally mm -hmm. ill, like right, you know, right. it's like, but and so rather yeah. than it being like, okay, well, I don't really want to listen to this anymore because it seems like it's like just too weird, like to find out that Tiny Tim was actually really Catholic, it just added this yeah. like, no, like this is. Like, like really mm -hmm. crazy shit like i gotta right. i want to pay attention to this definitely um that album had a cover of sunny and Cher's i got you babe in which he would like sing low for sunny's parts and then sing falsetto for Cher's parts um the album was also produced by richard perry who produced like super hipster classic captain beefheart's safe as milk i love that album but it also is like a hipster classic um he also produced albums for Harry Nilsson, Barbra Streisand, Carly Salmon, and Rod Stewart. And he's been on record saying that he's very proud of the album he produced. Uh, it's with, great. With Tiny I mean, Tim. It's great. Yeah. When you no, hear it's great. it for the... Uh, I'm, that's the one where he has like kind of like the spoken word deal with like all the is that is that that album? Cause, I mean, when there you listen to a, couple, a whole yeah. Tiny Tim album, there there's like of course the ukulele bits and like the mm -hmm. classic stuff, and then there's like the stuff that was a sign of the time it was recorded, and that's really weird stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, I mean, he didn't write like a single song. I mean, because that's the thing is he's playing all these old songs. Um, now, this album spent 32 weeks on the Billboard Top 100 and even peaked at number seven in the in July of 68. So, I mean, we are at the, the popularity part of the dump in which our dump is actually like a mainstream. It's all downhill from here. Artist. It's almost all downhill from it's here. It's almost um, all downhill from here, yeah. So, in 68, he also appeared in this, this music documentary called You Are What You Eat, which uh, had also musicians David Crosby and Frank Zappa. So, I mean, talk about being in a fucking hip of the time with all the freaks right you're in a you're in a document with david crosby and frank zappa like again if it's he <laughs> yeah it's crazy if he hadn't um been on tv like he was like if he wasn't on laughing first for his big break there's a very good mm -hmm. chance that tiny tim might have played woodstock you know because True. he was hanging out True. with like a lot of these guys and was seen right. as like this really weird like arlo guthrie i feel like took tiny tim's slot yeah and actually he does and we're going to get to a pretty major music festival he does perform here in a couple of years now uh he continued to like do more variety shows um but again like we've mentioned like he really was not it wasn't an act he was very weird and uh stories of his strange uh behavior began to surface uh, there was one account of him backstage in the green room of one of these tv shows he was alone in the room with a table full of chairs and he would sit in each different chair. Like, he'd sit in one chair and be like, hi, I'm this guy. And then he'd, like, sit in another chair and be like, oh, uh, and I'm the count of da-da-da. And he'd sit in another chair and, like, I'm the colonel of whatever. And he was, <laughs> he would just go around each chair and he was having, like, a tea party for himself, right? And just embodying every single character. 
Um, Can you imagine being like the kid with the clipboard where it's like, um, Mr. Tiny Tim, you're on Mr. a spot. Mr. Tim. Uh, yeah. And you just <laughs> yeah. back out slowly and shut yeah. the door. It's like, I'm going to give him a couple more minutes. <laughs> right. <in there. laughs> so now this is also just fucking bizarre. And this adds to like the weirdness. On April 4th, 1968, Tiny Tim made his debut appearance on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. Now, this is funny because like I only I mean, I never saw Johnny Carson actually air when I was alive. But it's one of those things through history. It's like Johnny Carson was this fucking entertainment giant. I mean, he he like the reason that there's David Letterman and Conan and Jimmy fucking Fallon, all that shit. I mean, it's it's because Johnny Carson carried the Tonight Show for 30 years and had so many like iconic entertainment, modern American moments. Right. So, like, I mean, this is kind of like a huge deal. So he he does an interview and he sings songs. But guess what? April 4th, <laughs> 1968 is going to be a day not remembered for Tiny Tim's first appearance. It's going to be a day remembered that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. Ah. That was the same day he was killed in Memphis. So, I mean, I'm only bringing that up because it just adds to this like whole surreal nature of Tiny Tim's existence. That his first show, while he's like singing on a ukulele, everyone's like trying to wrap their head around the fact that Dar- that Martin Luther King got shot, right? Do you think like James Earl Ray, like the guy that shot uh, allegedly shot uh Mar- you know Martin Luther <laughs> right, King. Right. Do, you, do you think he was like I better uh, wrap this up quick, got to catch Tiny Tim on Carson. I got to get Yeah, don't miss here Mr. Maybe Ray cuz so. uh, I I got to get home to catch Tiny Tim on Carson. Right. So, now let's we're going to get into like basically the height of Tiny Tim's popularity, and it's his marriage on Johnny Carson. So even though that happened, Carson saw something in Tiny Tim. I mean, as a lot of these like hosted because they realized like this guy's gold. He's like he can be he's like a good like repeat. Like, let's have Tiny Tim on again and again. He serves that novelty like element. a Liberace, like exactly. a Gary Glitter, mm-hmm. like yeah, like yeah. Any of that shit. So uh Tiny Tim also wrote a book called Beautiful Thoughts, which I think is like this like um Sort of like inspire. It's just like a bunch of like inspirational quotes. It seems like a good like. Um, <laughs> you're never alone when your friends live in your head. Yeah, yeah. It seems like a good like uh, culture dumps memorabilia to get Tiny Tim's book, Beautiful Thoughts. Yeah. Anyway, so he did a book tour and he met the 16 year old Victoria Budinger. He instantly fell in love. He was 37 at the time. Um, now part <laughs> par- part of the eccentricities of this man was that because of being very Christian is that he had these uh, we can say less than progressive views on women and basically he was truly believed that like you needed to wait until marriage to have sex and he had a strong for the age of consent but marriage yes and he had a very strong preference in what he would consider quote pure women now what this (laughs) is going to translate to is fucking young ass women girls teenagers because they literally haven't even had enough time to have experiences so tiny tim is he likes them young so here's where you know unfortunately um and again we've talked about this on the gary glitter he's right at home with a lot of rock stars too even though (laughs) even though they didn't have a catholic reason for doing it uh steven tyler but so So he meets Victoria Budinger and he nicknames her Miss Vicky. Now, Tiny Tim would have three wives. 
like that's just fucked. Like he he had three li- wives in his life, and they were all Miss first names. So Miss Vicky. That's um, his way of keeping them pure in uh-huh, his head, though. Yes. Like, like, no, you're not Victoria. Like, like you're Miss Vicky. Like, Miss Vicky, I have yeah. to cater to you, and you, more importantly, have to cater to me. Yes. He also, during his fame, um, apparently had a moment where a young groupie fan uh, who was in love with him poured honey all over his naked body, which was okay because it wasn't sex. So he was okay with the... Po- Pouring it's not honey. vegan. I'll tell you that. It's not vegan. And also, <laughs> honey, that's, I mean, I don't know. It, that seems really sticky. It seems like you would have to take many showers. To get yeah. The, I've never done the honey Well, thing. which we will learn that Tiny Tim didn't really have a problem with. Uh, nope. Taking, taking lots nope. and lots of showers. So, he, within months, they're already talking about marriage, Tiny Tim and Miss Vicky. So, in 69... Tiny Tim returns to Johnny Carson's Tonight Show and he brings his girlfriend, Miss Vicky, and he tells Carson of their plans to get married. So then like the way it goes is I guess like Carson's producer or someone's like, hey, you should have him get married on the show. And then Carson on air is like, why don't you all get married on my show? And they agree to do it. But what's crazy about this is that and this is just to really show you how things were different. Yeah. He tells Johnny Carson that she's 17 on television. This is not enough to stop this train, right? Uh, and I have a yeah. qu- I have a quote from Tiny Tim. He says, yes, Mr. Carson, and at last. The do fact- the voice. Well, but he, is, he doesn't have a falsetto. I can't really do it, but it's like, I can't do the falsetto. because The that's fact the thing. that she is 17, yeah. I would like to say <laughs> that a lot of prayer is involved at the moment. And of course, I've always loved youth, but only in the right way. Yes, that's a good impression. Yeah, <laughs> he had a very deep voice, so that made it weirder that he sang in a falsetto because when he talked, he kind of he did the weird like Dracula. Movie he was never star not weird. Thing. There was never like, oh yeah, no, I'm, um, yeah, I'm getting married to Miss Vicky. It's always like, no, I'm getting but, married to Miss. You know, Vicky. Ryan, we could let's do an experiment. Let's go out <laughs> and say. I've always loved youth, but only in the right way. Right way. <laughs> let's see. Let's see how long that'll last. Right. Yeah. yeah. There's no right way to say that. Um, yeah. But different times. What can we say? Hey. What are you um. Do? On December seventeenth of nineteen sixty nine, Tiny Tim, thirty seven years old, married his love, Miss Vicky, who was by then she had turned into the mature age of seventeen. Um. Now I also want to do say that. This was also a shock to viewers because, I mean, people thought that his girlfriend was going to be like a female version of Tiny Tim. So like even <laughs> a witch, like she was like a pretty conventionally attractive person. So people were very shocked. She's a very pretty teenage yeah. girl. You know what I mean? Like people were shocked that this was who he was marrying now. So and you can find this video. They get married on The Tonight Show, December 17th, 1969. 45 million viewers tuned in to watch this marriage. And this, so this is where it's like, this is the peak. This remained in Carson's 30 years as Tonight Show host. This was his most viewed um, episode. I mean, by like double. And I mean, he was super popular. Yeah, I mean, I would think but that nothing the final came, episode of but, his would, yeah, would have been... But nothing, no, yeah. nothing came close to this. 45 so, million people saw this 
poor, innocent, fresh-faced young girl get married to a literal goblin, and no one did anything. Nope. <laughs> Not nope. one out of 45 million. No. And now I will note to one other thing that kind of was like sort of the peak of his fame is in 1970, uh, Tiny Tim performed at the famous Isle of Wight Festival. So that's kind of like the the British Woodstock. Um and because this festival actually even had more people than Woodstock 69. It was estimated 600,000 people. Jimi Hendrix performed there. Uh, Leonard Cohen. Bob Dylan, who had been like in hiding for a few years. He like made a debut, like kind of reinvented himself there. Um, the Who played there. Like it's this huge festival. So Tiny Tim performed in front of 600,000 people. So I feel like the, the Johnny Carson plus the Isle of Wight is kind of like that's the peak for him. Now, to just get back to Miss Vicky, because this is sad. Um, so the, so they're married. They gave birth to a daughter, Tulip Victoria, which is just the most fucking old school sounding fucking name I can think of. Um, now, so he has a daughter, but their romance was very short lived because Tiny Tim, I mean, he's got these like very intense, like strict Catholic views about like women's place in the world. I mean, it's not exactly progressive by any means. No. Um, he's basically like he and he started to like pick apart her life and any interaction she had with any other man. Um, if she like she like wrote a letter to some man and he, he like admitted to being abusive to her because of that. Um, and basically, you know, he basically three years after the marriage, they got divorced because he decided that she was this like unforgivable sinner. She was a yeah. sinful woman and he couldn't be with her because he had these I, incredibly high, crazy, unrealistic standards. Yeah. Well, I, I had heard that he found out like she had told him that she had gone on a date or something like before they were married. And he was yeah. like, fuck that. And yeah. like, at, like, mm -hmm. it's just like, what? Like you had any kind of contact in relation with another guy, even though this is yeah. before, even though you're a fucking young teenager going to fucking right. school and I'm this old ghastly fucking ghoul. Right. Uh, you fucking. Yeah. So that like really started the downturn there. Yes. Now, because of this, because of claiming she was a sinful woman. Um, he just basically cut all ties with her. He refused to pay for child support because basically he said that Tulip, his his own daughter, was like born unto like a sinful mother. So he wouldn't fucking like support them financially. Um, and eventually, uh, Victoria, Miss Vicky, had to go on welfare. Um, and, and he never had a good relationship with his daughter. Um I mean, rightfully so, I would be like, wow, this weird old motherfucker is an asshole and he didn't support me and my mom. Yeah, um, totally. Fuck so, that. yeah. So and then now here we go. Let's get into the downfall, um, because basically this guy. Yeah. yeah, he's he's just a little too weird. So in the 70s, <laughs> in the 70s, he continued to make like TV appearances. But again, the novelty factor is always there. Right. Um, it's always there. Now, even when he would perform all these redemptions, he he. To his credit, I mean, as like this musicologist, he was always trying to be like, oh, here's the song I performed and it's a cover by Rudy Valley or whoever, you know, these old people. He was that was that is such his goal is to just be like, I'm this guy that's doing covers. 
Yeah, but, I mean, he's really seen as like a as like I said, like an oral historian mm-hmm. of like early American music. But he always still kind of was like, "Well, oh, I gotta do something to like hook in new audiences." So he would yeah. in the seventies, he started actually dropping the falsetto because he felt like that was a novelty. Because he does have kind of like a really good baritone singing voice too, and he would do Elvis impressions, and he would he would and do it's great, and it is really great, and it's really bizarre. Um, and it's amazing because it's like, again, with these weird ass 60s TV shows where these establishment TV studios are trying to cash in on hippie stuff. So it's like the the studio set looks like, you know, it's all flowers and stuff. But it's like 1972. And you're like, damn, every, all the hippies are like strung out on heroin at this point. Yeah. And it's kind of <laughs> like it's like it's a little too late kind of vibe. And then you have tiny Tim doing an Elvis song. So you're like, what the hell's going on? Yeah. What the fuck's going on? <laughs> yeah. But if it's the seventies, you can still like rip that joint and be like, man, that's a weird trip. Right. You know, it's, tiny Tim, uh, man, there he is. It's yeah. fucking tiny Tim. Um, and so he, yeah, he would do like mainstream covers too. And we'll get to one in a second. Um, his second album was called tiny Tim's second album. <laughs> um, <laughs> it did not sell as well as his first, but it was nominated for a Grammy. Um, so as as the seventies were on, people people really didn't. And also, you got to think now, like now when like people get famous, like especially with like iPhones and social media, like everyone is immediately like, "What's this guy's deal? Like, is he real or not?" You know, like I remember like Riff Raff, like immediately, right? The thing yeah. with Riff Raff, the rapper, it was just like, "This has got to be an act. He's too ridiculous. Like, you can't even like get away with like doing a persona anymore." I mean, you can if you try really hard. You can't right. fucking crack. Like, if you're Orville you know Peck, you like can never take Tim. your fucking mask off. If you're, if you're, you know, Takashi Six Nine, you can, you just can never break because someone with a phone is going to try and find that moment where you're breaking character. And, well, and if you are a novelty that gets like that goes viral on like social media or something, or like on YouTube or, or whatever, then the, the tendency is to try and strip yourself of that and become mainstream and then mm-hmm. no one cares like right. and like an example of that would be like the yodeling walmart kid right, like right. everyone was so uh-huh. obsessed with that like this novelty of this young kid but there wasn't fucking enough country songs from the 40s and then once he starts trying to be like oh well then i got all his attention i should actually be a country uh-huh. singer starts making mainstream country yes. i mean even now he, well now he's got like a viral song going around tiktok but the yeah. bit is like this is the fucking walmart kid and that's right. kind of tiny tim where yes. it's like okay because he was it's all he, weird but now he's trying to fit in and it's like but you're tiny tim it's not know? an it, it's not an act that's and people thought it was and even the press they erroneously thought he was british because they were like well he's so weird he must be fucking british <laughs> can't be one of ours <laughs> yeah um in 1976 the author harry stein wrote a biography tiny tim published by playboy press um but as the 70s wore on i mean he just he kind of like he sort of didn't care about it's like he wanted the fame, but he sort of just, I don't know. He did not have like a traditional like career trajectory. Um, and he was just basically, you know, usually when you're famous, you're like, okay, I got to be lucrative. Like if I reach a certain level of fame, I can't do a show for like less than this money anymore because that's going right. to degrade. He went my like the product. opposite direction. Yeah. And so he would play at dive bars. He would just play at like bingo clubs. He played everywhere. Um, and but he did manage to resurface with a cover of Rod Stewart's "Do You Think I'm Sexy," which I want to do a little clip of, just a, a small clip. Exactly what is hard, man? If you want my body and you think I'm sexy, come on, baby, let me know. If you really need me, just 
So now I think this this particular song, I mean, because it's a it's a modern song, and the fact that Rod Stewart's doing a disco song, there's like many layers of irony. It does it 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 kind of feels like it's like all right, this isn't you trying to like show us like old music anymore. It's like you're doing a fucking novelty song, right? Yeah. Well, also, I think in the 70s, too, there was like a huge sexual revolution, like w way more so than than in the 60s. And like the idea of like being sexy and like mm -hmm. being more like promiscuous and, and like really like owning your sexuality and stuff was such a was such a popular and prominent thing in popular culture that I think Tiny Tim like instantly was like, well, that's definitely not me. Yeah. So like he was just by him doing it. It was you know, like it's the like, joke. It's like itself. Chris Farley doing the Chippendales dance right. on SNL. It's like right. take someone that is not mm -hmm. the idea exactly. of do you think I'm sexy and make him do it. And now it's a goof. So it's it's getting a little sad. Um, yeah. Also in 79, weirdly enough, he performed a two hour long live rendition of When the Saints Go Marching In. <laughs> Which almost feels like, and you mentioned Andy Kaufman, like some Andy Kaufman shit when Andy Kaufman would like read the entire Great Gatsby or something. It's like, what the hell are you <laughs> thinking? Um, so this is now like the 70s, 80s. It's like it's starting to get into this like bizarre media appearance because he's still sort of trying to like remain in the limelight. He's also his I mean, he's a fucking weird guy and his like his weird life is just kind of starting to creep in. Um, we've talked on the show and on the Patreon a lot about how. It was really tough for like, I, there's like a very pronounced difficulty of like 60s musicians trying to like retain their relevance in the 80s. You know, like Neil Young, yes. Bob Dylan uh, are two big examples um, because there Jethro was, Tull. yes, Jethro Tull, like our Metallica episode, like, they, they, you know, they were, there was such an idealism with the music that the um, kind of outwardly like 80s commercialism, um, you know, didn't mesh. And then also the fact that punk would be the new idealism and punk was very much like yeah fuck you old crusty hippies so tiny tim is really gonna not have a great time finding mainstream <laughs> relevance because he wasn't even about the 60s in the first place and um, he's really starting to look and ghastly. yes because his his eating and drinking habits he was like a binge eater binge drinker he is looking ghastly he is um, a grilled cheese with yes hair. and now we're gonna get into the 1987 movie Blood Harvest, which I watched yeah. in its entirety. Um, yeah. It's fucking horrible, but there's a lot of titties in it. Um, uh, <laughs> it. It feels it's so it's so bad. It makes almost like no kid sense. Harvest. Um, basically, he plays a creepy clown. I mean, there's like five people in the entire it's like movie. Ed, it's it's almost like Ed Geenish, like like very like there's there's layers of psycho. Yes, in I'm, this film, I'm gonna just spoil the movie, but there the whole time he's this creepy clown, and they're really trying super hard to make it seem like his character is the murderer. But guess what? It's not him. It's this like normal ass dude who's his brother. But the movie's so bad that like anyone can tell that like it's not him who's the murderer. And he's just the weird guy, you know? Right. So it's like a terrible fucking movie. But I do want to play a, a clip because he wrote a song for it because his character is Merv the Marvelous Mervo. And he right. wrote a song called The Marvelous Mervo Theme. I love this song. And so I do want to play a short clip there. Yeah. <laughs> I wanna make the whole world laugh. 
even if the laugh's on me. I paint a smile upon my face, there for everyone to see. So put a smile on your face. Yeah, I, I watched um, that that movie uh, on Shutter. It was the Joe Bob Briggs who, for those of oh, you that yeah. don't know, mm-hmm. he's kind of like like the late night horror movie host, you know, with like quirky commentary in between. And mm-hmm. he had Tiny Tim's uh, biographer uh, on. Nice. And there's actually uh, there's there's footage of Tiny Tim watching Joe Bob Briggs host Blood Harvest like in the nineties. Oh, like, like, shit. Like, like so he's like it's like very meta but he's like sitting on the couch looking like a ghoul like with a beer and he's just like oh this guy's pretty good yeah, and like yeah. but yeah that that movie it is fucking i i would say it's worth it for the first 15 to 20 minutes because you get the gist it's but yeah that song though it's bad it's bad shit. but the song is great i do actually really like that song and i do think the line in particular of the clip that is, um, I want the whole world to laugh, even if the laugh is on me. I like that because I feel like that's a very autobiographical line. I think he knew people were laughing at him, but you know, he still like had this entertainer's blood in him. He wanted to do it. And even if people were laughing at him, he still wanted to get up on stage. I mean, he loved to perform. That was the whole thing is he would perform if it's on Johnny Carson or if it's in a fucking dive bar for three drunk old people. You know, that's yeah. his whole thing. But I can relate. Um, <laughs> Um, so other random things in the eighties, he collaborated with indie rock, uh, college rock band, uh, camper van Beethoven, very random. Um, in 1984, he married Jan Alwis, who he called miss Jan, definitely younger than him, but not a teenager. Um, right. well, he's getting, he's, he's getting a little too old for, uh, for teens at this you know, point. And he's not on TV and shit anymore. So right. it'd be really hard to fucking uh-huh. pull like he, a, a hip, yeah. cute he, he young did, girl. You know? He did do these weird commercials and it's basically like the th- whole theme of the commercials are like making fun of him. Like basically it's like these meta commercials. Like, why did we get tiny Tim? He's weird. That's the kind of theme of the commercial. <laughs> Um, now there is this YouTube documentary that, uh, we, that I, we both watched, um, called the story of tiny Tim by a YouTuber of the name Jeffrey Stillwell. Uh, it's like a 30 minute documentary. It's pretty good. And basically it sounds like at this time his health was really declining with his binge eating. And one particular anecdote from that was that he would eat four jars of gefilte fish (laughs) at a time. Now that I've, is, I've never had gefilte. You're like fish. gagging right now. Okay, I've never had. You ever had it? Uh, no, I fucking refuse. My grandpa never would fucking it. eat that shit. You know, old old Jewish guy, and he would like go to the spot where he'd get it. He'd get like multiple jars of it and like yeah. keep it in the garage. And it's like, oh, they gotta bring in more gefilte fish from the fucking garage. And like the way like it looks traditionally when you get it in a jar is it's like a like picture a big jar of pickles but instead of a pickle it's like a fucking pickle that's made out of like white fish that's like pressed together so oh, you're I've eating seen it i've it's seen disgusting. it it's disgusting like i mean I, you know it, it's a very it traditional looked, you know kind of deli food but I, yeah it's I a won't very traditional that. jewish food and eventually i would like to try it just to say i've tried it but when you see it at the store i mean like because like stores do no sell one it. wants a jar of fish it, off the fucking shelf i mean and i loved like canned fish i love sardines mackerel i love me some fucking canned fish 
Um, and I know that that can be weird to some people, but gefilte fish is like another level. I'm like, damn, this shit looks crazy because it's in it the is, jar. Yeah. So he would eat it, and there'd be like, you know, in the documentary, there'd be like, there'd be like six to eight fish in one jar. So he was eating like thirty of these like fish <laughs> at a time, and then, that checks out. And then he'd it, wash it, it down with a beer. Um, gefilte fish is 100% the kind of food someone that looks like Tiny Tim would eat, just like a lot of at a time. Also. And maybe these two things are related in the late 80s, early 90s. He started to wear adult diapers. <laughs> and maybe it's because he was just downing all this gefilte fish, but he's actually it, <laughs> just going to keep it in. Um, he's on camera in some footage, actually just talking about how much he loves the diapers because he felt like they were just like a more efficient way to live now. If you know yeah. a little about us in Podcast 99, <laughs> there's a little bit of a diaper history. I did wear an adult diaper for three days in a row at the Gathering of the Juggalos in 2019. Um, yeah. And I did love it. And I did pee myself. I never, I never <laughs> pooped. I never pooped myself. I'm also banned from Tinder because I used an adult diaper photo and called myself Diaper Man. <laughs> um, swipe or dipe, baby. And swiping and diaping. Um, fuck Tinder. Still won't let me back on. <laughs> And also from Podcast 99, uh, there was a member of Parliament Funkadelic, Gary Diaperman Scheider, who at Woodcock, Woodstock 99 wore an adult diaper. So there, so I was very happy to find that they're like the, the diaper. <laughs> yeah, you're in good company there. <laughs> yes. You, Tiny Tim and Gary Diaper Guy Scheider. Yeah. <laughs> diaper Guy. Um, so at this dude. point, I mean, yeah, I mean, we're, we're painting a picture. I mean, like shit's going a little off the rails. In 1992, uh, he ran for mayor of new york very very unsuccessfully that kind of is a callback to our culture dumps episode about the 2003 california gubernatorial yeah, yeah. a bunch of fucking weird ass celebrities tried to be governor of california but tiny tim is like the weirdest of the weird celebrity yeah and also you know i mean he was doing like a, a lot of other weird shit too i mean like for as if wearing adult diapers and eating like pounds of gefilte fish in a sitting wasn't mm -hmm. enough um I actually heard a story. So my girlfriend, she had a she had a coworker who is you know a, a bit older than her. Who um, his family was like family like Tiny Tim was friends with his family, so he would come over to their house for family functions late eighties, and and Whoa. they would like. Yeah, and he said like it was always like, especially when he was really young, it was like like scary almost, you know, like to yeah. see him. And he would always disappear into the upstairs bathroom, which was strange because the whole function was downstairs. Why is Tiny Tim going upstairs for like three hours? And so one time when they were like old enough to be mischievous, they're like, okay, what's Tiny Tim doing in the upstairs bathroom? And they would they put like a mirror or something under the door, and they were able to see him. And what he would do is he'd go up there and he'd take a shit and then he'd run himself a bath and have to like bathe his whole body and like soak for like an hour and a half oh to two God. hours to like feel clean enough after pooping. <laughs> like and just like you like there'd be like a Christmas party happening downstairs and upstairs. Tiny Tim's just like going through it. He's washing himself particle by particle. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> just like dude. getting he's hand picking every poop particle off of his body. Jesus. Um so we're approaching the end the 90s baby it gets a little weird yeah. um oh now uh, it gets weird yeah so he had this he was on wwe again not a culture dump so many dumpsters make their way onto professional wrestling he has this great bit with jerry lawler who again 
we mentioned uh, Andy Kaufman. Yeah, and, they uh, were like the... So Jerry Lawler, I mean, Jerry Lawler is kind of a legend because he kind of really played with the whole theater of um, wrestling. I mean, the whole Andy Kaufman, Jerry Lawler stuff is incredible. If you've never seen it, I mean, it is like some of the most incredible, like, entertainment yeah, trolling you can ever see. I mean, like, the Lawler-Kaufman shit is on Letterman is just unbelievable. I mean, in some and ways, has never been touched i'd say no no oh for sure and and lawler he actually hit him and uh and i, I what was it jr that they went on to, i mean he was the ring announcer throughout the attitude era of the wwf mm -hmm. which was like arguably one of the most if not the most popular like time for professional wrestling so he was like the voice of that and he was always the one that's like look at those boobs and like yeah you know say like oh that killed him like he was right. so crazy as an as an announcer but um but yeah i don't know but basically i guess tiny tim uh called jerry lawler a dairy queen and <laughs> and because uh, it because Jerry's Lawler's thing is he's Jerry the King Lawler, so to call him a queen, mm, is right, right, yeah, his name. And then um, so then Jerry Lawler decided that the ukulele is not a man's instrument, and he he grabbed Tiny Tim's ukulele and he smashed it. Um, so again, just good little dump dump history there. Um, yeah. But now the other big 90s thing is that Tiny Tim found his way onto Howard Stern, the famous 90s shock jock who was making his way into mainstream success by having a combination of like boundary pushing like sex acts and he would just get like prostitutes and drug addicts and sometimes even had like a serial killer on his show disabled people yeah, he, yeah, he, you yeah know, all kinds his of show shit. was very offensive and button pushing in the 90s and tiny he likes to think of himself as being like refined and like a, mm -hmm. like the world's top interviewer and stuff which you know th there is a lot to that yeah but people like it's it's how very easy to forget how fucking crazy howard stern yeah. was back in the day i personally think howard stern's overrated when you if you meet someone who wants to like say how influential he is you're like i mean okay come on like you know like <laughs> let's just i mean it's a bunch of fucking dick and fart jokes basically he did push yeah. the boundaries i think he's a little overrated um but there are some crazy clips i mean like howard stern on 9 11 is like a very surreal video to watch um he's like whole you know narrating 9-11 as it's happening um anyway so tiny tim was like started making like regular appearances like a call-in guest he fit in perfectly so he's kind of having like a sort of renaissance because now people really for once and for all are starting to realize like tiny tim this is his he is as weird as he seems this is not an act this is him super strange guy and he, yeah. he appeared uh multiple times but it all came to a screeching halt because like again this whole christian thing is like i mean that's kind of like if tiny tim was actually just this like crazy like dude who was like all about being a freak like maybe it'd be different but he was a fucking super christian and howard makes him more of a freak well it does it's it does like, it's it does so yes. serious but it's not it's it like does. what the fuck is going on tiny tim but yeah. basically howard stern who's like incredibly irreverent so you know, I don't even think he actually was going after Tiny Tim's religion. He, he just he just made like a offhand like we've probably he said. He kept saying, "Oh Jesus!" Yeah, like, he just kept saying, "Oh Jesus!" Like we've Christ. probably like done that. that, or like I say, "Oh God!" Tiny Tim wouldn't want to be on our show, right? Like we just everyone pretty much says, "Oh God" or "Oh Jesus," just because of being an American, whether you are religious or not. It's just a thing you say. It's such a part of the lexicon. 
Howard Stern made some comment like that. And Tiny Tim basically was like, do not take the Lord's name in vain. I like, and I do not appreciate you doing that. And he on air just like had a complete, like, fuck you, Howard Stern moment for uh, being sacrilegious. And he, and he never came back on the show. Yeah. Um, he was deeply offended by Howard Stern's uh, sacrilegious attitude. And, you know, it's interesting because, I mean, obviously Howard Stern was known for being raunchy and stuff at the time, but that was like the world's biggest show. But Tiny Tim was also like a regular on all kinds of like public access shows for like punk rockers, you know, and like experimental music and like, you know, like a bunch of young artsy kids like in wherever, you know, whatever city USA mm -hmm. would have like their public access show where yeah. it's like the void with blah, right, blah, right, blah. Right. Tonight we have Tiny Tim. But like they those shows didn't manage to piss them off as bad as, right. <laughs> you know, yeah. and, like and those shows existed for the like pretty much explicit reason to yeah. like showcase weird music and be transgressive he goes on howard stern and he's not pissed off about howard stern having no. like porn stars and all this shit on it's him saying taking the right. lord's name in vain it kind of reminds me of uh harvey p Carr and david letterman's interactions where letterman would have this uh comic book author harvey yeah. p Carr, and eventually Throughout american splendor they really did not get along and it made for great tv and eventually their differences actually led to like a very acrimonious split um but now we're going to get to the end of tiny tim's life and it's very fitting i would say to who he was he was in november 30th 1996 tiny tim was performing at a small women's club in minneapolis yeah um very small performance and he was performing of all songs tiptoe through the tulips when he had to stop the performance clutching his chest he walked off stage said he did not feel well and an hour later he suffered a i mean he was starting he was having a fatal heart attack and an hour later he was dead so God. it's wild but that he belongs into this like elite club of people who died while performing yeah so no, and, and actually this was the second heart attack he had on stage um i think it might have been a year before or maybe even less than a year before because he was even told by his doctors do not perform yeah. like mm -hmm. you can't take it but he did it which is interesting because you gotta really be fucking unhealthy to not be able to stand on stage and play the fucking ukulele. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And sing. Like, it's not like he's doing fucking shit with pyro and like right. running around. Yeah. It's not like that. But uh, he like you can find the video, not the one of him um, where he dies, but the the first heart attack he had. And he's on stage and he's literally talking like he's at a ukulele like concert. So there's a bunch of guys in Hawaiian shirts behind him mm -hmm. and it's like ukulele pros. And he's like, oh, thank you for having me. Uh, the ukulele is a great instrument. I'm not as good as some of these guys, mm -hmm. but thank you. And then he just falls flat on his face. Yeah. Like right yeah, there. And like everyone's yeah. like, oh, fuck. And like it's crazy. But, um, you know. Also, his wife uh, at the time when when he did die, she took the suit he was wearing and Miss cut it up. Sue. Into, uh, Miss Sue, Miss Sue, yeah, yeah Miss Sue. Uh, she misused his clothing and <laughs> fucking cut him up into a thousand pieces, and then would sell swatches of the suit that Tiny Tim died in Dang. as kind of like the last the last merch. Um, a yeah. couple of things I want to throw in before we get to what it all means, though. Um, 
Tiny Tim, like I said, he was doing this public access circuit on all these weird outsider and punk shows. He there's literally a photograph of him and Gigi Allen together. Wow! Like so he like which is bizarre. So he was like around. Like he signed an autograph for Gigi Allen. Like Gigi Allen of all fucking people yeah. was like, uh, Tiny Tim, can you sign me an autograph? And he's like, oh sure, and uh, and and did. What but the also fuck I did heard they talked about. Uh, uh, young girls. <laughs> I <don't, laughs> yeah, I don't know beer. Like they had plenty of shit in common. Oh uh, not being taken seriously. Uh, yeah. All kinds of stuff. But uh, <sighs> one time he's Jesus. on Stern and, and Stern's asking him about about sex and girls, and he's like, "Oh, come on, Tanny Tim, you gotta, you know, you must be getting some, or you must want some." And he's like, "Well, uh, I do have my temptations." And, yeah. and you're just like, "That'll send it's shivers up your spine." So creepy. And, I also heard that later in life, and you can kind of see this when you see pictures of him, he would, like, cover himself in baby oil. Like, to him, oh that was, God. like, a cleanliness kind of thing. Like, germs can't stick to me if I'm, like, slick. So he would be, like, oily and greasy, oh wearing a diaper, smelling of gefilte fish and beer. <laughs> like, just, like, a whole motherfucking thing. But uh, what what does it all mean? Dude, I don't know. Um, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, but I will say that I mean he 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 truly was like an outsider. Um, he and I think that that is very telling of it. I mean it's kind of hard to necessarily sum up, but there is something about like I mean you know both you and I Ryan we really appreciate like the outsider artists, and I think sure. that I think that sometimes they kind of like maintain they can kind of maintain this like cult status for their entire career. And he had this big like moment. And I think it is because even despite all of his flaws, he really was like very passionate about what he cared about. I mean, he cared about, he loved this old music and he really cared about it. And I think that that even if you, even if there's something bizarre and weird and unsettling about it, I think that the passion still kind of like comes through in a way when you're, when you're, you see who he is and he's just trying to be who he is. And so I think right. it's just fascinating. He's just a fascinating person who like, yeah, just was kind of like trapped in like modern society or something. Um, yeah. And I, I think, you know, that there's a lot of people out there that take themselves very seriously and Tanning Tim did take himself seriously, but he never let that get in the way of becoming a, a success in whatever way possible. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if I had to like break it down, like I always do, you know, what, what does it all mean? I guess it means, you know, if you are like, just be your fucking self, let mm. your star shine Love as it. bright as you possibly can. And don't ever compromise that because that's what makes you, you and tiny Tim is a perfect example of doing your own thing, walking your own path, wearing your own diapers, <laughs> eating your own jar of gefilte fish uh -huh. or eight. And, and, and because of that, you know, we're talking about him now, you know, yes. like someone that should have easily faded out, someone that should have never, ever made it in front of a television camera is like the subject of the most watched Johnny Carson episode of all time. So what does it all mean? It just means be your most true self and maybe you could be the next Tiny Tim. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, I love it. Ryan, I've actually got to go. My friend is outside, and this is perfect timing here. Um, All right. I will well, say sure uh, pay pay your child support, too. That's the only Yeah, yeah. Thing. It also means pay your child um, support. Don't marry teenagers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, for sure.
Come in. <laughs> oh, shit. They're literally here. <laughs> Fuck. All right, folks. Make sure you subscribe to patreon.com slash culture dumps. We're going to post all sorts of crazy Tiny Tim stuff up there. We're going to do, uh, you know, we have our side series squirts and all that stuff. Also, follow us on Instagram at culture dumps. Send us suggestions because we do take them at culture dumps at gmail.com. Keep on dumping.